The reading is Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, to chapter 30, verse 16, and can be found on page 32 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So, uh, so she named him, sorry, I've lost my place. This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, What good fortune! So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, How happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. This is the word of the Lord.
Morning, folks. I don't know if you're all stunned into silence by that. Um, okay, this is the story of two wives locked in a bitter um, struggle. Um, and I, every week, as we've been going through this series in Genesis, I kind of ask myself, um, what, how on earth am I going to bring this to life for you all? And every week, as far as I can see, the news delivers. Um, if you don't know who these folk are, they are two wives who have been locked in a very public feud uh, over these past few days, um, and you might have followed it. Now, you might, you might not have done. You may not know who they are. That's fine. Some of you may be thinking, Paul, that's a little inappropriate uh, for a sermon on a Bible passage. Um, the reality is, where we are going this morning, that kind of visceral feeling you might have is exactly what you're meant to have as you read this story of Genesis. It is that kind of story. Um, it is meant to evoke some of those um, emotions in you, whatever you make of, uh, of who's in the right or in the wrong. Um, we left Jacob last week. If you remember, we left him. Uh, he had very quickly, uh, in the space of a week, married uh, first Leah, and then at the end of that week, Rachel, and then had been committed to staying there with both of those wives, and the story here um, is the outworking of some of that. You might want to hold them in your mind, um, even, or, or perhaps that reaction in your mind. We're going to work our way through the story um, under this heading initially. Um, here is a feud between uh, Rachel and Leah and a struggle for love and honor. Uh, you might want the, you, know, the, you may have in the mind the words approval, recognition, whatever it might be. There is this struggle that they are going through. And we presented it, it may have not made kind of much sense as we read through, but it comes in three movements. Three movements which will make sense of what's going on and why um, it's so dramatic. Um, and the three movements are these, so we'll, I'll work through them. Initially, what happens is there is a battleground laid out. And the terms of their feud are made really clear. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Rachel, you'll remember, had Jacob's love from the end of our last week. Rachel has her husband's love, but she cannot get children. And all of the pain that goes with that, which some of you may know. Leah has children. She has four of them. Very quickly, as these first few verses uh, make clear, you'll see that she, uh, she has a series of children. Uh, first Reuben, uh, then Simeon, uh, then Levi, then Judah. She cannot get her husband's love. And all of the pain that goes with that, which some of you may know. If you notice how she describes her situation... Uh, the Lord has seen my misery. Uh, she says, surely my husband will love me now. Um, uh, he has heard that I'm not loved in verse 33. Verse 34, now at last my husband will become attached to me. He won't. Rachel has her husband's love, but cannot get children. Leah has children, but cannot get her husband's love. And that is the battleground. That is the terms of this terrible struggle. And the writer sees very clear in, in laying out what uh, the terms are. 
Then there follows the middle section of this story, and I've called it, I've, I've suggested skirmishes, uh, well, that's the right word, I don't know. What's going to happen in that middle section is that Rachel and Leah, do you remember last week we mentioned briefly there were these um, uh, maidservants, uh, um, uh, Bilhar and Zilpah, and they are brought into this feud. They are brought into this feud and used um, if you have a look at chapter 13, when it starts in verse uh, 1, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Suddenly, do you see the, the, the depth of her frustration emerges, the pain that she is going through? And Jacob's response Do you know his, look at his response, verse 2. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? What a response he gives her. Now, technically, it might be true. um, Am I, he's not in the place of God. But have you ever, truth delivered in the worst possible way. His anger towards, am I in the place of God? And actually, in contrast to his um, uh, uh, Abraham and Isaac, who both in similar situations prayed to God on behalf of their wife and family. And here is Jacob responding in anger uh, to her. And what what happens then, as you see, Rachel and Leah then employ their, um, their maidservants But they do so with a very uh, self-oriented focus. So uh, Rachel says, here is Bilhah, my servant, in verse 3. Sleep with her so she can bear children for me and I can build a family through her. Uh, I can be built up. Um, And so she does and uh, Jacob sleeps with her um, and then uh, Dan is born uh, and then Naphtali. And if you look in verse 8, the way she phrases it, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. She's using this as a means of trying to get a victory over her sister. In kind, Leah responds, when Leah saw that she had stopped having children, we'll come back to that in a moment, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob. uh, And what good fortune, uh, she has Gad, she says. And then in verse 12, Uh, A second son comes along, Asher, and she says, How happy I am, the women will call me happy. See, the sense of feud, the sense of I am winning here. They employ these uh, two to bring about their own victories. These are the skirmishes. And it builds to the final showdown. The final battle. And the, and the writer slows everything down. It, we've been sort of moving very quickly backwards and forwards through these uh, two. And then suddenly, verse 14, during the wheat harvest. So here is a scene, a wheat harvest. Reuben goes out to the fields uh, and uh, finds some mandrake plants. He brings them to his mother, Leah. And then Rachel says to Leah, give me some of your son's mandrakes. Here is the, the final showdown. Why, 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 why? What on earth are mandrakes? Mandrakes are an aphrodisiac. Mandrakes are an aphrodisiac. Leah has them. Rachel wants them. Why does Rachel want them? Rachel, remember, still hasn't conceived herself. 
Rachel has, uh, she actually has a, a pagan background. She's from a different region. Uh, we often, I think, sometimes view the Bible as though everybody is working like a, a believer. She has a, a pretty pagan background. Um, uh, here is some of that coming through. There was an aphrodisiac on offer. I haven't yet conceived. Uh, what if I could use that to lure Jacob? What if that will work? And so she wants them from Leah. And then suddenly Leah speaks and the floodgates of emotion uh, come through. Verse 15, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Remember I said last week, when they, we, we didn't quite know really at the time what was going on in Leah's mind uh, when she was sort of thrown into this marriage. Uh, and then her sister sort of sweeps back in as she always does. And here, years later, suddenly it all comes out. Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? And now you want my mandrakes? And she trades them very well, says Rachel. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob comes in from the fields that evening, Leah goes out to meet him and says, you must sleep with me, I have hired you. Now the reason that is important uh, when it said earlier that Leah had stopped bearing children, very probably Jacob has been sexually boycotting her. It's not necessarily uh, to do with Leah. It's very probable that Jacob has been boycotting her. And if you know the pain of that in a marriage, you will know how difficult that is. And so she says to him, you must sleep with me, I have hired you. Imagine the level of kind of internal uh, emotion and, and, and somewhat despair. It's the, the thing that you want and the means you have to go to to get it. And the final tragedy and the kind of punch, the end of this story at this point, as it finishes just after. So he slept with her that night. Jacob goes in to sleep with Leah. The word that is used for sleeping with somebody there uh, in Genesis is only ever used of illicit or forced sex. This is not a romantic evening that Jacob goes into. This is him doing something he doesn't want to do and it is unpleasant. Those are the layers of the mess of this story and the final tragedy of that moment. And it is like, if I can use this analogy, it is like a traffic accident on a motorway that you are going past, and you know that you're not meant to look at it, but you can't stop yourself looking at it. It has that kind of potency to it. That there is a, a, a sort of horror unfolding, and some deep and, and, and very sad situations. They want... Uh, love and honor and approval. They are looking for it. Uh, they are trying to control how they get it, and they are frequently successful in one sense. And they often invoke God as a justification for it. But it doesn't actually bring about the love and the honor and the recognition that they want. And I guess the clincher of that is in that moment at which Leah uh, has her night with Jacob, but it is far from what she was after. That is the uh, unfolding battle and struggle. Uh, 
And it is quite something, isn't it? It is quite something. God's hand underneath the struggle. I think one of the things we have to do is recognize just how disorienting this story is, okay? It is, um, in one sense, it's a, 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 an extraordinary family drama, but this is, this is also the birth of the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? This is the birth of God's people. It is a complete mess, but it is God's special people who are being brought into being here. Um, I mentioned briefly last week, Leah, in those opening uh, verses, uh, she gives birth to Levi. Levi is the beginning of the priestly line. Uh, She gives birth to Judah. Judah is the birth of the kingly line of God's people. These are God's special people. This is, you know, if I said to you, what are the big moments in God's people's history? You might say to me, oh, there's the Exodus, um, there's the uh, uh, crossing into the promised land, there's the kingship of David, um, there's the temple. These are all the high points. This is up there with them. This is the birth of the 12 tribes. This is God's people being formed, and it is this. And it is disorienting, and some that we need to just kind of go, this is confusing. And to see that it's also more than that. It's not just confusing, uh, uh, perhaps, in the way we read it. So it's more than that, too. Um, Let me show you this. Um, This is a quick sketch of the Jacob story that we have. Okay, now, it's not all of it, um, although uh, there's there's more to it uh, earlier on and, and later on. But what I'm trying to show you here is the story is crafted really carefully. There are, there are sections that mirror one another. And you might remember, so if I just told you at the top there, um, Jacob and Esau, that's when he steals uh, the blessing from Esau. Um, then we remember, we've, we've looked at the fact that Jacob then has this extraordinary meeting with God and the ladder uh, vision that he has. Last week, he has this battle with Laban, um, uh, which he is deceived and outwitted. Uh, he will have another one uh, next week. Uh, we'll look at that. Uh, He's going to meet God again profoundly uh, on the way back, and then eventually he will reconcile with Esau. There are actually parts that also come either side of those. There are mirror sections, and what it is showing you is at the heart of this story. In fact, in lots of ways, the point of the Jacob story is not Jacob. It is Leah and Rachel and the birth of the 12 tribes. This is the center point of this story. And it's remarkable when you think about it. It is in this mess and this conflict and this ugliness that God's plans are working themselves out. Uh, Actually, at the start and the end of the story, uh, are the only points where we're really told that God is is active in doing things, um, he enables Leah to conceive. And right at the end, he enables um, Rachel uh, to conceive. Now, it is, this is not how we would do it, is it? If you were going to write the story of the 12 tribes of Israel, you'd have a rom-com. It would be Jacob meets Rachel. It's, you know, it's kind of fun. It's light. Then they have uh, 12 beautiful children, and they go off and live somewhere um, in one of the suburbs, and it's, it's fun. Would you write this as the centerpiece of the birth of God's people? Here is an absent husband a passive husband. Here are the desperate housewives, if ever you wanted to find them. And the boys, and there's one girl who are born uh, in this sequence. Can you imagine 
how it shapes the rest of their lives. Vying for honor, vying for recognition, for love. I don't know what that was going to do to them in their later life. We often have a very sanitized view, don't we, of how God works. We have a very sanitized view. We kind of clean it up and we make it nice and we imagine God works. And here God takes the people who are fighting and competing with one another and, to be frank, hurting one another and hurting themselves. And he forms his precious, treasured people out of it. And he makes them the center um, of his story. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do that? To show the kind of character that he is. To show the gracious and the extraordinary character that God has. I don't know if you, what your, your view of God is or, or, or what it might be or what it is lately, but do you know that God, he can work in this way. He can work with people. Uh, like this, like you and me. In fact, he always has. In lots of ways, studying this bit of Genesis has made me realize it makes total sense of the end of the rest of Genesis and the feuds between all the brothers. You suddenly think, gosh, of course, through all, uh, that's exactly how he works. It makes sense of the fact that the tribes, as they go on, will fight one another frequently. It makes sense of the fact that the kingdoms will split later in God's people's history. It makes total sense of all of those things. This is how God works. This is how he brings his people forward. And as I tried to lay out the shape of the, of the passage for you in those three movements, I did so because, as, do you see as we go, uh, the, the sort of battleground is laid out, the skirmishes that are involved, and then you get to this final showdown where it, you, you see that it runs really deep down into Leah and Rachel. And it runs really deep in, in humanity and in you and me. This kind of mess and and, and struggle and feuding. And people trapped by competition, people trapped by looking for approval, none of us are beyond God's ability. None of us are beyond God's ability. And if ever you needed to know that, this story is the centerpiece uh, to show you. It might be that in your experience, uh, you are not unlike a Rachel or a Leah. That's been your, your experience. Do you know that God is able to and can work through you? It might be that in your experience, you are like a Jacob, who is really quite a mess in this story. You are not beyond God's ability to work in and through you. It might be, um, I know uh, some of the platformers are here, we were thinking about them earlier. It might be that you know uh, friends. It might be that you are, are those who kind of feel, this is the kind of experience I have been born into and I'm growing up in. If you knew the extent of the mess of my parents, it may be adults, maybe you too is not beyond God's ability to work in and through and around these situations. The Rachels, the Leahs, the Jacobs in your 
family, in your workplaces. You know, sometimes we think, don't we, if only they weren't, if only there wasn't that problem, if only there wasn't this situation, then you know, God wouldn't be hindered. He could do something. Actually, just it's, it's not, God works. He knows what he's doing. None of these are beyond him. And when we say to ourselves, you know, do you have to find yourself, God's ways are not our ways. Like, we're not joking. And we can't and don't stop God from shaping his people and bringing them in his grace and his kindness uh, and his miraculous mercy to where we are. You know, do you find yourself sitting here? For some of you, you'll be sitting here thinking, you know, if you knew my family history, if you knew what I've been through, you'd never expect me to be here. I suspect there'll be more people who know that and think that uh, than you realize if you're the one person thinking no one else is like that. We have an extraordinary God. This is the centerpiece uh, of, of this story that we're taking through this term. We'll come out the other side. We'll see where God takes them. But in many ways, if you take from this term... Here is the birth of God's people. Here is how he works. Look at what he can do. It will stir and fire your imagination and your heart, I pray, for his ability to work in your or my life. We often look, I think, sometimes in despair at our world. We despair at, uh, at perhaps people's situations we have. But let's, let's raise our eyes and wonder at our extraordinary God. Why don't we pray together? Gracious Father, we pray that that would be very real for us this morning. I'm aware the the story that unfolds is a painful one. Uh, And in some ways, just to know that you, you deal with people as they really are, you deal with the reality of our human lives is a reminder of your grace itself. And to see you working through that is a reminder of of your ability beyond all that we can imagine. So I pray that we'd write that on our hearts. I pray we'd believe that and that you'd help us this morning. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.